I didn't plan really well for post-pregnant, like once you have the baby. (laughs) It was a really rough entry here into parenthood. And I've discovered I'm not a baby person. (laughs) 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 And I was menopausal. (laughs) That's my parenting journey in a nutshell. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Startup Parent Podcast. This is the show where we get to talk to working parents, entrepreneurs, and business leaders about what it looks like to raise kids while also building companies. If you're in the thick of it with your career or your business and you've got little ones at home, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Allie Shapiro battled cancer as a teenager. She received chemotherapy and radiation. And while Western medicine was essential and able to save her life, as she says, it also destroyed her health in the process. After getting her cancer-free diagnosis, Allie was committed to understanding how to truly improve her overall wellness so that she could do more living. To make that happen, she had to step outside of the mainstream paradigms that influence our health choices. She says, I had to learn how to listen to myself. She is a holistic nutritionist, an integrated health coach, and a cancer survivor. She is the host of the Insatiable podcast, and she is the founder of a program called Truce With Food. Over the decades since her cancer diagnosis, Allie returned to school to study nutrition, adult development, and how we make change in our lives. She did academic research and applied and tested it over a decade of working with clients and groups. And what she learned is that what we traditionally think of as eating issues actually has very little to do with food. In today's episode, you'll hear her talk about how there's too much mainstream health and wellness advice that is focused primarily on weight loss as a goal, as though that should be the only indicator of health or that should even be the goal at all. Plus, so many programs use damaging tactics like control and discipline and restriction. That, she says, completely erases the complexity and breadth of what health actually is. Today, I get to hear all about her story and her journey. She's gonna tell us about the company that she built, and we also get an inside look into her parenting journey. Allie didn't know whether or not she would be able to get pregnant as a cancer survivor. And so when she did get pregnant, she was astonished to find out, oh my goodness, I can do this. Not without struggle, of course. She talks about her miscarriage, and she also talks about perimenopause and how she had early onset perimenopause as a younger person because of her cancer journey. This episode is a really special one. We talked for nearly an hour and a half, and we could have kept going. And one of my favorite parts of this episode is just how funny Allie is. There's something about going through some of the darkest parts of life to equip you with this wicked, dark sense of humor, and it just hit me in the best way. Now, of course, a note. In this episode, we talk about health and weight and food. We approach this from a mindful and compassionate and expansive lens. However, this can be a really tricky topic for a lot of folks. So as you listen, please, as always, listen to yourself first. You are always welcome to ignore or reject or disagree with things that don't work for you. You are the champion of your body and your life. One of the hardest things about being a CEO or being a manager or a leader is finding and carving out space to think. That is one of the reasons why I made the Wise Women's Council. Twice a month, we bring wise, vetted experts in to support you in your leadership development. 
Our core business trainings help CEOs and leaders make complex decisions more easily, learn how to say no, learn how to ask for help, and build a life and a business based on whole person leadership principles. Our leadership sessions support you in deepening your own internal wisdom, building at your personal growth edges, and improving your stamina and energy reserves. It's called the Wise Women's Council. We've been running it for six years now, and we open only twice a year for enrollments, once in the spring and once in the fall. If you want to find out more about this program and what people have to say about it, head over to startupparent.com slash WWC. Hey, everyone. I am so excited. I get to have Ali Shapiro join us today. Ali, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I just love the work you do. I have been wanting to have you on the show forever. And I've been listening to other podcast episodes where you've guested. So I'd listened to the one you did with Kimberly Johnson. And I've been like going down the rabbit hole. So it's such a delight to be like, oh, now we get to have you on the show. Yeah, well, I love business. I love parenting and health. So these are like my three favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> business, parenting, and health. So... Allie, I want to start by asking you about your parenting journey. We'll start with the parenting side before we get into the business side. Can you tell us a little bit about parenting? Have you always wanted to be a parent? What does this journey look like for you? Yeah. Oh, I have chills. Thanks for asking. (laughs) So I didn't know if I always wanted kids. And I started my business at the age of 29, so back in 2007. and it was a health business and I just really was devoted to like creating my model and all of this kind of stuff. And so I just really didn't understand how it'd be feasible to be a parent too. But then as I got around like 35, 36, I was like, yeah, I kind of think I want to do it. And my husband, we were living in New York and we were kind of like, well, if we're going to have a kid, New York is a young man's game. He said, <laughs> you know, it's like, let's move back to my hometown of Pittsburgh so that if we do decide we want to have a kid, you know, my parents are here. So I think intuitively knowing I wanted it and if we were going to make a move from the East Coast to really do that. And then I got pregnant in the summer of 2016, but then I miscarried like five days after I found out. I think what I didn't understand at the time, and because I had cancer as a teenager, they never knew if it affected my fertility. So I actually had a really different reaction, I think, than a lot of people to miscarriage. It was kind of like, oh my God, I can get pregnant. This is really good data about it. And I had only known that I was pregnant for like five days. So I didn't have like all of the plans in place or anything like that. I joke like, I have enough of the patriarchy out of me that I didn't think it was my fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Ellie. Oh, what a joke. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Then a lot changed. Trump got elected. I was like, I don't know if I want to bring a kid into this world. That's really how I felt. And then I kind of had this like nonchalant sense of like, oh, it's okay. I can get pregnant. But then I had a friend who was four years older than me. At the time, I was 39 and she was like 43. And she's like, Allie, I know you're not really into Western medicine, but I would go get your fertility checked because I wish I would have started trying earlier to become a parent. And there really is changes once you turn 40. And so I really respect this friend. So I went and I got a workup at like the major women's hospital here that is 
a leader in health, apparently, at least that's what the marketing says. And they told me that I was basically in early menopause from my chemotherapy and that the best chance I had to get pregnant was to do a donor egg and IVF. I came home and obviously cried and was just like kind of floored by this. And my husband and I went through this really big, do we want to have a kid because society's telling us this is a kid? Is this really what we want to do? And because for me, I just didn't want to do that. I kind of joke my Western medicine credit card is already maxed out from all the chemo and radiation that I've been through. So I was really sure that I didn't want to go down that path of the donor egg and IVF. One of the things that I've learned about myself over the years is I have to know at least that I went for what I wanted. I said, you know what? I'm going to work with a naturopath and an acupuncturist. And I did for nine months. And I was like, you can't expect this to happen. You have to do this, show up just because you want to improve your health or whatever. And I got pregnant 10 months later on my own. I'm now through menopause. So we joke that my son, Essa, it was like the last train leaving the station. Like He might have been the last egg in there. I don't know. <laughs> These are jokes, Allie. <laughs> These are such huge topics. And then like, you're killing me. Like you're like the last train leaving the station. That's so funny. <laughs> I joke that the side effect of chemotherapy is dark humor. So, you know, you just... <laughs> you know, I think the side effect of like, Deep, heavy things can be dark. I really love people with dark humor. I think it's because we go there, because I love going there. Allie, this is that's speechless. This is funny. And so I was shocked because my acupuncturist helped me get my periods more regular. And my naturopath helped me get my thyroid healthy enough so that I wonder if that was why I had miscarried earlier. According to Western medicine, my thyroid was healthy enough, but for ideal fertility, it wasn't. And she helped me. Actually, it was the Lyme bacteria that I had tested with her. I didn't have Lyme, but I had the Lyme bacteria and clearing that up got my thyroid to a really healthy point. So I had an amazing pregnancy. I felt like I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, Western medicine again has, because they had given me all these diagnoses before and I had resolved them. And then I gave birth. I had the birth that I wanted. I mean, I had wanted to give birth in a midwife center, but then I risked out and there was a lot of stuff adding up. But all the things that I wanted to do, the unconventional things, have it unmedicated, I was like, I did it. You know, like it all went so well. And then my breast milk didn't come in, most likely from the radiation. And that was really devastating to me. It was three to four months before the pandemic. So we had kind of isolated because I was huh, worried about the flu. My son was born in October. <laughs> and then my parents were on that, like I call it the COVID cruise. I don't know if you remember that cruise. Oh, I do. Yeah. So they were our childcare and then they were basically gone for what was supposed to be a week cruise for two months. Like Trump didn't want the numbers. So they were like, quarantined at sea. Then they actually tested positive for COVID before we even knew what COVID was. So then they had to quarantine in an Air Force base or in Georgia. And then they had to come back to Pennsylvania and be quarantined again. And I didn't plan really well for post-pregnant, like once you have the baby. <laughs> it was a really rough entry here into parenthood. And I've discovered I'm not a baby person. <laughs> <laughs> And I was menopausal. <laughs> That's my parenting journey in a nutshell. <laughs> Allie, I just can't because 
the matter of factness with which you drop these truths that people can take lifetimes to figure out. You're like, nah, I'm not a baby person. I'm just cracking up over here because it's so true. I remember when a friend texted me and she's like, I like school age kids. I don't do babies very well. The last five years have been awful. And I was like, wait, you can say that? You know, and yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> I was just talking to a client yesterday. It was her second kid. She had done a home birth not planning on doing a home birth, but COVID happened three weeks before her birth, her first birth. And she ended up giving birth at home six weeks ago with just her and her husband, the midwife and the doula was to not get there in time. And she's like in like four weeks, her son is like four weeks. And she's like, I just don't like this baby phase. And she's, you were the one who gave me permission. Our sessions gave me the permission to like admit that to myself. Yes. And I was like, oh, here I am changing lives. Absolutely. I love babies. I really do. Up until about the time they start walking and then one and a half to two and a half, it is like the devil in my brain trying to slice knives through my body. It is just so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I think that's why you're not supposed to parent a child by yourself. It's like, let's have a whole bunch of people who like babies take care of the babies. And let's have a whole bunch of people that, there are people who coo over two-year-olds. I like two-year-olds about two hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) My husband and I always talk about this, like when my parents come down or friends are over, like your nervous system just feels different. Even if the people aren't there to directly help you, it's just like, oh, I've got safety here. Yes. It's so different. Like I was a, feminist beforehand. And it's like nothing will radicalize you more than motherhood and realizing this isolation and this individualism is all just bunk. It's horrendous. Yeah. And part of what I want to talk about today is this expanded definition of health. The village is part of our health in this way that is just primal, that you can't do anything to replace. There's nothing that can replace it or no hacking around it. You need the village. Y'all, I'm going to stop talking and just let Allie go for the next 45 minutes because (laughs) I am speechless. I need to take notes and write quotes. This is so good. (laughs) I am so thankful for all that you shared in your journey and just want to honor and respect the fact that like, you went through cancer as a teenager. That is really challenging and really tough. Are there any lessons from that or any stories from that that feel pertinent to sharing with this crew. I want to make sure to give space for that. I think the big thing that it can relate to the people listening is I did have cancer and I came out of cancer and I was like, oh, I'm healthy because I don't have this diagnosis anymore. But it would take me 13 more years. I was diagnosed at 13. And at 26, I basically found functional medicine. This was almost 20 years ago. And I know it's very mainstream now, but it wasn't at the time. And I reversed my acne, my irritable bowel syndrome, a lot of my depression that was caused by gut issues that the chemo saved my life, but it also destroyed my health in other ways. As I've shared, I overcame my infertility diagnosis. I felt like I really understood how to be healthy, but nothing prepared me. (laughs) Or I should say all of that stuff prepared me for managing the complexity of trying to be healthy while parenting in a pandemic, while going through menopause with very 
little to no childcare help and trying to keep a business that your family depends on for like half the expenses. Right. I just totally understand when people are struggling (laughs) with trying to manage these three big pillars to any life. I just totally empathize (laughs) if you tuned in to want to listen about health. Like it's hard when you're doing all three. It is so hard. And yet that's the point. This is something that I've been so thankful to you for and the things that I've messaged you about is so much of health presumes that you have the ability to like get off the couch, the ability, the agency, the energy, the predictability you said assumes that you have these things and parenting and parenting in a pandemic and parenting in a pandemic as an entrepreneur and parenting in a pandemic as an entrepreneur who is healing, right? Those circumstances are so tremendously difficult that if I see something on Instagram that's like, the perfect morning routine is these five things and all you have to do is drink Soylent. If I could reach through the phone and thwack that person that young white male, uh, I probably would. Right. Um, we know who that is. <laughs> that has no caregiving obligations. <laughs> that has no caregiving obligations. I have to highlight this sentence you just said. You said the chemo saved my life, but it destroyed my health. If that is not the best description of Western and Eastern medicine, and like the difference between the medical bureaucracy and health, it's just so good because Western medicine, that's what it's good at is saving your life. Totally. And we need it. And I think that's really important because somehow I feel like the wellness world has a lot of it, what's become an industry. So it rails against big pharma, but it has recreated the same issues because it's all rooted in capitalism, right? It's now we're going to sell you supplements instead of drugs, or we're going to tell you that we can fix this but that's not always true. That's a whole other topic. A simple in-the-box solution. Like an easy, all you have to do is this one thing and then everything will be fixed. And that's such a lie because there's so many complicated things. Okay, before I move into the health section, because I have so many questions there, I want to just say thank you for sharing your motherhood journeys too, so candidly. And the miscarriage. What an interesting thing you said about it wasn't as maybe painful for you because it was data. It was like actually kind of like, ooh, I can get pregnant. I didn't know that. And I also should add, I mean, there's always complexity, right? I did have my son at 41 and going through menopause, I obviously cannot have any more children. The miscarriage almost felt I should also add, like, I love my son. <laughs> like I yeah. am loving this age of three and a half. I think everyone knows that, but just say that. I just want to say that is that it almost felt harder now that the choice has been taken away from me whether or not to have another child. It was interesting of almost feeling harder now because it's like, well, you can't have a second child. And again, I don't even know if I would want one. My husband and I joke, we think a second child would break us. Mm-hmm. We're in our mid-40s. But when the choice has been taken away from you, it feels different. And I think that's something too, is like when you see on Instagram, and I do think we need to talk about miscarriage. We need to talk about how hard that is for people. And it's also okay if it wasn't super hard for you, I think too. Yes, that 100%. And that's why 
in Wise Women's Council and other places, we talk about saying, in my experience, because what's so beautiful is to hear you talk about it and be like, in your experience, it had so many different feelings and sensations and it evoked different things. And I know people who have described multiple miscarriages and some of them were, I don't want to say easy, but if that was their experience, you know, it's much easier than others. And some of them were devastating. It's not just physical, it's emotional, it's psychological, it is contextual, it's relational. Oh, Allie, thank you for saying all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for mentioning it. It needs to be discussed. Yes. So this is where, if I have a soapbox, by the way, listeners, this is like one of the ones that I would go towards. But this is where there's this concept of psychological flexibility, and it's the idea to hold multiple points of view and multiple ideas, in fact, ideas that are in direct opposition with each other in your mind at the same time. And it's much more accurate to who we are to be able to say, like, I am sad and I am happy, right? I am happy that this pregnancy didn't work out. And this is just an example because I was scared of it, but I'm also sad that it didn't work out because I wanted it. And that concept of psychological flexibility, being able to be with each little piece is not modeled in a square Instagram post or in a cliche quote. 100%. It's actually because my background and my master's work is in adult development and in developmental psychology, we call it complexity fitness. And it's actually something that you have to learn to do. Yes. Basically, the Instagram post is, can you hold the and? And it's one thing to say that, but then to really embody it is challenging because we have these very binary ideas of what is good and bad, what a good mother does. Yes, I've ranted about that before. (laughs) I'll link that rant in the show notes. I am so curious. This is actually like, let's put a pin in this, a conversation for future episodes. How do you teach psychological flexibility? Folks, that is a conversation I am very curious about. So come find us on Substack and come find us at Startup Parent. We're going to talk more about that. Can you hold the and? Yes. Okay, Allie, I want to talk about health. And I want to talk about how you learn to be healthy as an adult. One of the things that you said to me when I knew I had to have you on this podcast was the idea that how you change as an adult and how you learn as an adult is not the same as when you were a kid. So you have four tenets of adult health. Can you take us through this? Can you tell us about this? What is it? And what do you teach? And these adult tenants aren't mine. They're like rooted in research. So I just want to also say, you know, but I've applied them to health because how most of us get health information does not work. (laughs) I mean, they've done a study in the book, Developmental Psychology, like I said, is a lot of what my master's work is rooted in. And the book Immunity to Change is really one of the bones of my Truce with Food framework and my Truce coaching certification. And in the book Immunity to Change, which is an organizational book of change, but they open up with saying, you know, one in seven people who have a heart attack will actually make changes, right? These are people who actually almost died. Wow. And only one in seven will make the necessarily health and lifestyle changes that we know would improve their outcomes. I share that because I think when you're a parent and you're running a company, it can feel like health, again, is the last thing on your list. And we can beat ourselves up for that. But a lot of the way that health information and health education is communicated 
is the problem. So I just kind of want to set that up. Whoa. A lot of how health information is communicated is part of the problem. Yes. Okay. I have a lot of doctors and nurses and people who work with diabetic patients, but these doctors and nurses are my clients and they will tell someone, there are patients who have diabetes, right? About blood sugar control. You need to keep your numbers down, this or that. But then when I work with them, I'm like, well, how does that show up in your life? Hmm. Do you know that your cravings are because you're not eating the right food for your body? Do you know that you're waking up in the middle of the night because of your blood sugar issues? It's like, oh, now I'm actually motivated to do this because it's going to make my life easier versus we tend to think of like, what do I have to cut out? What do I have to change? I'm already tired. Like you said, I can't even get off the couch and everything you're describing to me takes more energy. So there's a huge disconnect. That, yes. The One of the first pillars is that adults are motivated to learn as they develop needs and interests that this learning will satisfy. So I have a toddler. He will just play to play. He's not like, where is this going? It's just like, I'm in the moment, right? <laughs> but adults were like, where is this going? What is in this for me, basically, yes. is what yes. we're always consciously or unconsciously asking. So for example, infertility wasn't on my radar until I was diagnosed with infertility. Exhaustion wasn't on my radar until I had a kid. <laughs> right. Before that, I didn't care about energy hacks. I had all the energy in the world because it was just me, myself, and I. <laughs> So we start to become interested basically once we have a chronic pain point is basically what it comes. What is the glass in your shoe that you have to remove is kind of what I ask my clients. That's really important. I even think about wise women's counsel. I tend to think of myself as a bad joiner. And then I realized in my business career that I was really lonely and I needed community of like-minded people. And I'm so glad I joined Wise Women's Council, right? But I didn't know I needed that until a certain point. And then I started searching for it. So that may seem obvious. No, it's not obvious. I think it's really, really important to break this down because it's so true. I can think of a zillion different examples and you probably have some too, but I have zero interest in learning how to use God, what is it called? It's that saw that you go up and down, a seesaw. I don't know. You're like, zzz, zzz. <laughs> that's all I can think of. And my husband is like obsessed with woodworking. And so he's buying more and more tools. And for the most part, it's like, I just glaze over if I think of anything. And then I had this new vision for a window seat that folds out into a king bed. That's like this little book nook, reading nook. And all of a sudden now I'm like obsessed with learning about woodworking. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like, oh my God, right? <laughs> yes. But before that, I'm like, I do not care about joints. I don't care about sanding. I don't care about what, like, and I think part of it might be, and correct me if I'm wrong, I only have so much space in my head for information. I mean, I learn a tremendous amount of things all the time and I hold so much information for parenting and children and work that just adding more content is exhausting. And I mean, frankly, in the health conversation, I mean, are you Gen X or are you millennial? I'm Zennial. So I'm 1983. Okay. I'm like Gen X, but my parenting generation is like millennial. So it's like a real blend. Most of us grew up where health information is all funneled through weight loss. So it's like the yes. ultimate meaning. And now it's, oh, are you a moral person because you're doing this and reversing all your stuff? The way the meaning matrix that we're all taught 
if you're like, I don't want to be in diet culture, you're tuning it out. And then if you want to lose weight, you're like, this isn't working, but no one's looking at like, wait a second, what are the immediate benefits of why I need to be healthy? I'm not even saying like, this is going to cure your cancer. I'm not cure your cancer. No, I would never say that. Yeah. This is going to prevent cancer, right? That was a big thing for me for so long was like, how do I prevent cancer? How do I prevent cancer? Ultimately, I can improve my odds, but I don't have complete control over that. I had to focus on like, well, how do I feel good today? Because the best chance of preventing cancer long-term is if I feel healthy today. Or it's like, I have to reverse my autoimmune condition. It's like, let's go for like a little bit more relief. Let's Mm. not work on this finish line that we can't ultimately, and I think deep down, no, we can't control. And so we end up missing out on what we can control in that. Mm -hmm. So if we start to say like, for me, my biggest pain point was insomnia with menopause. Part of why I didn't really believe I was in it, not only because I got pregnant, but I didn't have stereotypical health. Like I wasn't having hot flashes. I did have the rage, but I thought that was from just (laughs) becoming a mother and realizing that rage could have been multifaceted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not. Yeah. But you know, I had plantar fasciitis and I was like, oh, that's because one year I had gone to the doctors and I was 30 pounds above my pre-pregnancy weight. And I was oh, that's my weight. I didn't understand how perimenopause creates a lot of joint pain because you lose the protective benefits of estrogen and progesterone. I didn't care about any of that until I couldn't sleep. (laughs) And I was like, why am I insomniac? And again, when you hear a lot of this stuff of perimenopause or menopause, a lot of people, you think you just have to live with those symptoms. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you can reverse everything or whatever, but you can improve a lot of things, but that doesn't fall into the weight loss conversation or the gut cleansing conversations that we have now. And so I think the big elephant in the room, because of how most of us have grown up, even if we don't want to care about weight loss, is we tie things back to this exercise doesn't count if I can't do it consistently because it's not going to help with my weight. And I would encourage people to ask themselves, when you think about health stuff, the health stuff you're currently doing, if you knew it wouldn't lead to weight loss or weight maintenance, would you still be doing it? That is such like, it's one of those huge invisible scripts, those like the mindsets that we are bequeathed by our culture. It's yeah. the stuff that we're swimming in for women, especially, but now it's getting really complicated with men too, about yes. You are valuable if you're thin and small and tiny and invisible and you don't sweat. And then how much of health is disguised, but always pointing towards weight loss about, oh, Allie, oh, Allie, why? (laughs) I mean, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It is about puritanism and we think we're chosen if we're successful. I mean, it applies to business success as well. But even if you don't think you're religious, I mean, these ideas of good and bad, right? Fat and thin are code for good and bad. And which is code for, oh, you're hardworking and disciplined with the Puritans told us that means then you're chosen by God. I mean, if we're going to really go deep. That's That's right. That's right. There's good, obedient, wonderful human. Oh, I'm just going to add a tiny piece in here. 
for people listening, if you are trapped by the weight loss conversations or if you're like waking up to the fact that they occupy way too much space in your brain, one of the things that I have loved is, and this is just my experience, but I have loved thinking about the Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, just being strong. That has been something, like that's been a direction, a navigation point. Like I just want to be strong and I want to be big and I want to take up space. Like I want to be an Amazonian woman. I like want you to turn your head when you come in because you're like, oh, she could take me out. Like, <laughs> so like you need an alternative. Well, it's funny you say that because I joke that I go to the gym to be able to be like a middle-aged mom that can like go down the, the slide with my son without like pulling my back out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I am training to be the fun. I mean, again, like the a physical mom, but that actually that what you're describing and stuff, I think is actually the second tenant of adult learning, which is experience is the richest resource for adult learning. We basically, we need new experiences, not more information. So again, health information. Oh, this is why vitamin C is good for you. This is going to help this or that. But if you can't connect it basically into how does this make my life better? Like you want to create a bay window or, you know, because it's like, oh, I want that. But one of the things that I think, unfortunately, you know, you were talking about weight loss before. So we're like, oh, well, I don't want to be in diet culture, so I'm not going to focus on exercise. But actually for me, postpartum and being menopausal, I started with a trainer on strength training because I kept injuring myself every time I would pick my son up. And again, this was all perimenopause related and I had plantar fasciitis, so I couldn't do much. But I have grown to love strength training. Now that I love it, I'm finding out all the information to confirm why I should love it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> what's happening. And you're realizing like, oh, I don't want to be small. This is the experience I want to have, but it's based on like new experiences versus when we're kids, we'll sit in class and like read this stuff, even though you may have been asking like, why do I need to read this and know this? Some kids would, but we have to have new experiences that really surprise us, frankly, I think. Whoa. Tell me what the second tenet is. Like, What's the phrase that you use for tenant number two? Oh, yeah. We need new experiences, not more information. We need new experiences, not more information. At least my clients, they tended to really excel at school. And so they're like, oh, I'm going to use that formula. I'm going to just study, study, study. So let me read about this. Let me read about that. And because you were talking about flexibility, it's like, oh, I'm going to try to create this concrete plan based on what I've learned, but it doesn't actually fit into their life or it may not even apply to them because everyone's body's different. And then you're also in a different phase of life. So that's kind of a, okay, I need a new experience, not more information to really figure out what works for me. And that actually leads into the third one. After we go through these four, I can like take you through an example to really apply this. Yes. Can I say something about the second one? Yes, please. Something that's top of mind for me about tenant number two is your connecting dots for me about how I teach and the programs that I create and even just being like an online educator is so many people think they need to stuff all this information into mm -hmm. their courses. Like I just need to like pack this with information because once I explain it all, then they will have the transformation. And all you do is you make people feel bad. 
because they can't consume all the information, they can't hold it, and then they're overwhelmed and they don't know what they're supposed to take action on. And for me, I think we have this very small goal in Wise Women's Council when they come, when new members join and they attend one of our first calls, the only thing I want is for them to connect with one or two other people and have fun to have an experience that feels good because the only thing I need for them is to come back. And you do that so successfully because I know with Wise Women's Council calls, I never miss them, like the monthly calls, because I just walked away. It was like, I know I'm going to feel better. That's it. (laughs) That's what I want. I'm not trying to change your life. I'm trying to connect you to people. And actually, by the way, when you feel better and you connect to people, you will change your life. That comes second. Yes. 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 I mean, that's a whole thing on goal setting. (laughs) You can have a goal, but it's probably not going to be how you think you have to get there. (laughs) Exactly. The third tenet is that adults have a deep need to be self-directing. So if we did so well at being told what to do, whether in a course or with health, there would not be so many books on management, parenting, or weight loss (laughs) or health. (laughs) Whoa. Say that again. If adults did so well at being told what to do, there wouldn't be so many books on management, (laughs) parenting, or health slash weight loss. (laughs) No. I'm not going to name names, but there's a very popular doctor who I really like his work. He's on the leading edge and he has like 12 New York Times bestseller books. But let me tell you, they're all the same book. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Because consuming information and understanding it, so it's one experience to read it and be like, ah, oh, yes, that's true. I know, that's true, right? And there's a little bit of satisfaction just to be like, mm-hmm, I learned it again. Like, I know this stuff, I'm smart. But being smart and knowing something is not the same as change and it's not the same as implementation. And I think that's part of the trap is like, I'm just gonna give you a lot of information. And then you're like, I have a lot of information. And then you're like, why is nothing changing? Just like what you said about the doctors who they have all the information and they still don't make the changes. Or people who have heart attacks, they still don't make the changes. Oh, yeah. Adults have a deep need to be self-directing. Okay, say more about this tenant. Yeah, and they need to come to even really obvious realizations themselves. And so my goal actually with my clients is not to tell them what to do. It's to have them want to want to make the changes that they need to make. So I'll give you a concrete example of that. In Truce with Food, everything's about experiments. People are like, I don't want more rules. And then they come in, they're like, there's no rules here. Oh my God. However, there's a structure because we know that structure can liberate. So I do teach about blood sugar and gut health, but it's through experimentation. So one of the things that a lot of my clients struggle with is cravings. I know that the more vegetables you have, the less sugar cravings you have. The bitter flavor helps with sweet. I can explain that because my clients do like to sometimes know a little bit of theory, but it's like, hey, one day I don't want you to eat any vegetables for lunch or dinner. Don't. And then the next day I want you to try this really easy thing, you know, or whatever you have in the house. It doesn't matter. It needs to be green. And like my one client was, this may seem so obvious, but I can't believe how much more satisfied I feel with vegetables. And I'm like, it's not obvious. (laughs) I mean, it may be obvious, but you had to come to that conclusion yourself. And again, most of how we're taught about vegetables now is, oh my God, you need to do it to nurture your gut, which again, if you're not connecting to that immediate, like, oh, I want to do this because it's making my life easier. Oh, I don't need something sweet after lunch if I have more vegetables. 
That's what my client cares about right now. Yes, it's nurturing their microbiome. It's helping all the thing. It's helping to, you know, naturally detox the liver, all these things. But that's not actually what motivates us to change. No. It can often make us spin in shame more than anything. Oh, say more about that. Again, because a lot of health and wellness information, it used to be filtered only through weight loss. And now it's, are you a moral person who's taking self-responsibility? without recognition for the fact that, first of all, healing is relational and needs to be done in community. And it doesn't acknowledge systemic privilege, access, all of those things. A lot of it is now like, well, if you have IBS or you have depression, that's on you. Like, have you looked at your blood sugar? And again, these are important conversations to be having because every diagnosis has multiple factors that can help you improve it. But when it comes across of this like moralizing way, which we're already hearing in our head. And then it's like, we're seeking the confirmation to tell us that we're bad, that we're not doing this. It ends up in shame-based motivation instead of, I really want to want to do this on my own because of my own terms and own reasons that I've come to. And my own experiences. Yes. Wow, Allie, this is so, so important. I'm connecting the dots here too, because I'm a very intellectual, read a million books nerd out kind of person. But there is that spiral of shame when it's like, well, I know what I need to do, maybe is the better way of saying it. I know what I need to do. And yet I can't seem to do it. What's wrong with me? Why is this so hard for me? Why am I so bad at this? That's the place that I go sometimes because I know that I'm supposed to eat more vegetables. I know that I could eat less sugar. And caveat for everyone listening, like health is up to you and weight loss is a huge, huge arena of terrible messaging towards women. So I use this like as just an example. I know that I'm supposed to do these things and yet I feel awful at the end of the day and I'm completely exhausted. I'm totally overwhelmed. The children have probably punched me and hit me and screamed at me as they do at the age that they are. And then I sit on the couch and I eat Kit Kat bars because I'm done. I'm done. And I don't make the change. And I have a lot of forgiveness for myself, by the way. I don't actually go too much into the guilty space because I know somehow that I'm doing the best I can. Like I am. I'm doing the best I can with where I am. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you because we've talked about this before is like, here's the place that I'm at. How do we get from here to where I want to go? And what if I don't want to go there, right? Your phrase, I want to want to go there. I haven't quite made that link yet. This question that I would love to ask you. Yeah. That I think gets us out of this shame-based spiral This, again, ties into number one. Adults are motivated to learn as they develop needs and interests that learning will satisfy. So let me ask you, Sarah, and this is what I ask my clients. Instead of it being self-sabotage, I actually think our self-sabotage makes complete sense because I don't think it's self-sabotage. So Mm. why does it make complete sense? And you kind of listed it, but let me just ask it to you this way. And how does it shift in how you feel? How does it make complete sense that you want Kit Kats at the end of the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, I want comfort. I want to feel better. It makes me feel more relaxed. It's like I can see myself kind of from the outside. Like I feel like I just curl up on the couch and I kind of giggle. I finally get like a tiny bit of space to myself and I'm just like, 
<laughs> and that's when I look for silly Instagram reels and my husband and I watch Ted Lasso. That's like pocket of joy at the end of a very long, exhausting day. And I love that you said pocket of joy because my work is about food being safety mm. and safety being when we're young, how do we celebrate joy? Oh, I'm going through so many stinking birthday parties right now. (laughs) (laughs) We ply our kids with sugar. That's how we celebrate joy. Yeah, it is. We celebrate joy with sweets almost all the time. Yeah. And also, and again, this is like, at least for me, food was, so I don't know if you had book it, because I'm also like you, I'm super intellectual. So it's like, me having to learn my body has been the biggest learning curve of my life. Did you have Book It? No, what is that? Oh my God, you would have loved it. Book It <laughs> was this program through Pizza Hut. If you read five <gasps> books. My husband had that. Yes, <laughs> you missed out in California. Of course you didn't have it in California. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you read five books, you got Pizza Hut. You got a free personal pizza, right? Yeah. And my parents were city school teachers. We had no money, but every two weeks was payday and we would go to Pizza Hut or something Yeah, because it was like we had payday. My parents didn't want to cook. Food is your reward. It was your reward. And, and I remember being terrified of going off the diving board. And my dad goes, Allie, if you jump off the diving board, we're going to Dunkin' Donuts on the way home. No. I mean, I overrode the fear. And so one of my biggest patterns of food is, well, I deserve this because I've done all of that parenting. I've been kicked in it. Like you said, Mm -hmm. I've worked. I deserve this. Once you start to realize like, oh, the issue isn't food. It's that I believe I have to like be exhausted or earn joy. Yes. It becomes a different need. Oh, oh, is that true? Maybe we're going off on a tangent. No, this is so helpful for me. Yet, the Kit Kat is the solution, not the problem. We're going to take a quick break. If you are thinking about joining us in the Wise Women's Council, make sure you apply to join us during our spring or our fall enrollment. Head to startupparent.com slash WWC to find out more about the Wise Women's Council. All right, let's get back into it. This is so helpful. And later on, I'm going to ask you about how to do like a content preview for folks. Because we're talking about all this stuff that I know is just so tied up for so many different people. Weight and health is just such a tender space. It's a big space. It's a tender space. It's loaded. It's so many value judgments inside of it and everyone's experience is different. So I just want to give everyone the space to remember that you can disagree with me. You can find that what I'm saying about my own journey is very different than yours. I just want to keep that space open. Okay. So we have gone through the three tenants. There's one more though. And this actually kind of tie into your Kit Kat situation. My deep learning around food was like, oh, if I work hard, I deserve a reward. And the implication was that the process couldn't be rewarding. And how many of us, especially I found myself doing this in parenting. I'm not rushing off the diving board, but I'm just 
trying to rush so that like I can control it all right and get through it. But the last tenant is that adult orientation is to learning is life or work centered. Again, health is the vehicle, but where are we going? Why do I want to be healthy today? Not if I'm going to prevent a cancer relapse or alleviate my depression or anxiety or whatever. Why is it important to me today? Is like such an important question that really asks us to tap into our values. For example, with your Kit Kat, it's like, oh, the Kit Kat isn't the problem, but maybe I need more pockets of joy. How do I get more joy? in my work or my life somehow. So yes, I end up eating less Kit Kats, but I'm enjoying my life more. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, that's so true. My insomnia, I had to make some changes, especially working less, which was like my big thing. And I had a big story around that. And that's really story work is what I do. So I knew how to do it, but it was like, oh my God, the reason I'm going to work less and take a little bit of a backseat in my business, which I've never done and I can't even comprehend it, is because I am wishing away time in my son's life because I'm so exhausted, because I'm snapping at him, because I'm snapping mm. at my husband, because I know that you need sleep to feel healthy and I'm not getting sleep. All of these work and life things that were actually motivating me, not that I just only wanted to sleep better to sleep better. I mean, that is hugely anyone who, you know, not getting sleep is torturous in and of itself. But there's all these quote unquote side effects that are actually what was motivating me to make these changes. So there has to be something tied to your work or your life. So all of this is how we change as adults. And it's different than childhood, which might be immersive and exploratory. And like you're learning everything and you're absorbing new information just because. But as a grown up, tell us all four of them. So as a grown-up, you have basically an agenda with your needs. Yeah. Have you started to realize the Kit Kats were interfering with your sleep? Okay. I am now motivated to learn about sleep and what's going on. And I don't know if that's interfering with you, but I'm just like so about sleep after the last couple of years that that's like... And then experience is the richest resource for adult learning. So you might hear like, oh, well, sleep just goes downhill as you get older. It's a sign of perimenopause. And it's like, oh... I have no control over that, perhaps. But it's like, what if I start experimenting? And perhaps I will start to learn, oh, that works for me. Like one of the things, I did have to hire a sleep coach who was a functionally trained nutritionist. It was like, oh my God, I have to take walks during the day to lower my cortisol because my cortisol was so high from going nonstop that that was what it was actually waking me up in the middle of the night. Yes. Yeah. So- How many times have I heard, get up and move your body every 90 minutes? How many times did I do that? None. (laughs) But once I started realizing that it was one of the causes of my 2 to 4 a.m. wake-ups, bet your I was getting up every you know? That's right. That's right. This is why people who give us information, sometimes I can't even because I have 975 different pieces of advice that I'm trying to follow every single day. Like I know all of the things that could help me and that is not what makes change. The question that you're asking with your work and the things that you are teaching are so profound and so necessary because for you to be a good educator, and this is another soapbox that I'm going to put out there, but for you to be a good educator, it's not about whether or not you know something and it's not about whether or not you give that knowledge to someone else. Those are like 
the bare minimum things that you need. But what you have to do is create an experience, a transformational experience that actually solidifies the learning and the desire in someone else. And that education is so hard when it comes to that. So hard. So hard. I think it is a tremendous challenge. And when I see people, they're like, I'm going to teach you this thing in five steps. And then they give you a worksheet. I'm like, you know, I don't think you actually helped anyone, but congratulations on trying. It's kind of like amateur hour, if we're being honest. (laughs) Exactly. And so there are all these courses out there and I'm still on a soapbox apparently, but I think the people who are like, I'm going to teach you how to like turn your knowledge into a course, you have turned them how to take the information and put it into a PDF, right? Or some other format. It's a download, but a download is not change. A download is a thing that sits on your computer. And the real art, the real work is how do you create space for change? And if you can nail that, you'll be in business for the rest of your life. Like you are a healer and you are someone who's doing tremendous work. But it is the difference between an amateur and a professional. And if you notice when you go and you see talks that really resonate or you go to a workshop or you have an experience, the things that you remember, the things that last are experiences. Totally. And I think what you're hitting on is there's often a difference between learning and changing. Yes. And I often saw in the coaching industry in the early days, I don't know if as it's the coaching industry is more matured, but then they would blame the person. Okay, I just gave you a PDF of 110 things. And again, I'm a white male with no caregiving Uh (laughs) caregiving abilities and it's on you. You're not trying hard enough, right? And then if you're already in shame over something that you're trying to fix or learn, it's like, it is me versus this was an experience. Just don't give me a PDF of like something that wasn't edited there's, oh my God, I'm on the same page. Yes. Yes. There's a pedagogical responsibility, I think. There's an example. There's a woman in Wise Women's Council who is working on a book launch and wants to have like a marketing gathering, like for people to share marketing ideas and is a little bit nervous about it because they don't know if they can implement all of those marketing ideas. And that's exactly the crux of it is like you don't need to gather 20 people together to shout marketing ideas at you. The only thing that you will feel is overwhelmed and ashamed. Mm-hmm. And we don't stop collectively to say there are 20 marketing ideas, but which ones feel good to you? And is it possible to do all of these things? No. And what's your unique skill and what feels right? And so I'm working with someone else to, we're going to, throw her a surprise book marketing, like a baby shower, but a book marketing shower. And everyone we're inviting, they are going to do a marketing action on the call. So they're going to create a tweet or a social media. And so it's more like a baby shower. We take care of you instead of just doing a whole bunch of ideas. That is incredible. Oh my God. You're so creative. You're just so smart, SKP. (laughs) I'm like, listen, don't show up to my meeting if you're not going to get stuff done with me. (laughs) I love, though, that you brought that up because, again, our health, parenting, and business, it all follows the same change strategy. Yes. And you reminded me, like, I was just on with my Truce with Food group yesterday, and this client, she has some knee issues. She's like, okay. I'm going to the gym. I'm not paying for this gym. I know I should do this X, Y, and Z. And then she was like, wait, what actually feels good? Because I'm all about meeting yourself where you are. And she's like, I want to do something at home that has more time flexibility. 
It's about what feels good right now. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, you don't need to have the whole plan figured out. That is the illusion of safety. Oh, this is going to work, right? You don't have to have the whole marketing plan figured out. I mean, you want to have a few strategies, but like, can you sense into your instincts in your body about what is in business, parenting, and health? It's all the same well of self-trust and understanding what feels good right now. And I know that that's also a tricky thing because sometimes what feels good ends up feeling bad, but really what feels, and she's like, I just want to do this online thing and I want to walk. And I'm like, great. Practice showing up. Your goal, your metric right now is just show up and see if, what is your goal? She's like, I want more mobility. Let's see if that works. You have to experiment with marketing, with parenting, with your body. And this idea it's also so individual and so custom. Yes. It's just so personal. And who you are may change. What worked when you were 28 may be different than 34. That may be different than 38. And it's the same with our kids, right? Our kids and our businesses each go through stages and phases. Mm. You said you would take us through an example for these four stages. I had a client who I think they very much resemble probably a listener. So I think it'll be help. But she was like an entrepreneur, we'll say, at a company. And she did have a history of disordered eating because in her family, health and weight were really valued. She came to me for a bunch of issues, but like, I'm going to show you this, apply this to the four tenants to this example. So she was like, I always want something sweet after lunch. I'm not really hungry and I feel really bad about it. And then one turns into like a bunch it does affect me. She couldn't be moderate. So I said, next time you want to eat something sweet, rather than beating yourself up or saying, I shouldn't do this, or why does it make so much sense? And I would encourage everyone to ask themselves that. Like you will be astounded. Even that clarity is like a win, right? You get a dopamine hit from like, oh, I want, you know? So what she came up with was on this particular day, I'm going to give you an example of I'm really overwhelmed because I have to give this pitch deck. Us who grew up in the 80s, it's a PowerPoint, but now it's called a slide deck. I have to do a slide deck for this presentation for my manager, and I really care about this project, and I'm overwhelmed. So it's like, oh, okay, chocolate makes complete sense. If you're overwhelmed by the task at hand, chocolate gives you focus, and it gives you energy. But the actual need was she was feeling overwhelmed at the slide deck that she had to do, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give her a bunch of tips for how to not eat sugar. It was like the need is I'm overwhelmed and I have to do the slide deck. And so my work is all about how are we relating to things? Not what do we have to do, but how we're relating to it. And in her story, success was like, I have to do it all on my own. I should know how to do everything already. And it was like, well, what would make you feel better, safer about this? Oh, if I got some context about what exactly my part of the project is. The need was actually, I need context. I need more information. I need to right size, not supersize this to-do thing that we tend to do to protect ourselves if we're perfectionists. So let's experiment with asking your manager and getting more information. This was all over like Voxer. She did it. And all of a sudden, she's like, I'm not thinking about chocolate anymore. This was over the course of a couple of days. And it was like, oh, okay. So I didn't need to tell you. I mean, I talk about food being safety. And I didn't have to tell her, don't be overwhelmed. You're great. You're smart. She's hugely talented. But that is not going to be what helped her there. So the experience 
of reaching out to get help and realizing that she needed more information and scope to her project not only helped the sugar stuff, but it helped her learn that she can ask for help. It doesn't mean that she's not smart or not successful if she doesn't already know what it is. Now, adults have a deep need to be self-directing. I don't need to keep telling her she's amazing or that she needs to get for help. She's realizing, oh, this is actually part of the creative process. She's in a really creative role. And now I feel more competent and more trust of what I need to do next versus Allie's going to tell me something and then I'm not going to do it, right? (laughs) Yes. And this was work-centered because I was like, what do you ultimately value? For a lot of my clients, they're very accomplishment oriented, which is great. And though they don't value the process coming into our work together, but it was like, okay, how do you want to show up at work? And she's like, well, I really value being innovative and being creative. Okay. What support is going to help you with that process? Now she's really starting to start to value the process and not just the outcome, which is that work-centered. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, food is the pain point, but it has nothing to do with food in that case. I mean, it did in terms of like symbolically needing focus and energy, but it was how she was relating to success in her work that really was the need. And once she could see, oh, and then we experimented, right? It's about flexibility, not a plan. All of that coaching, if that's what you want to call it, I don't know if it's really coaching because I think coaching sometimes wants us to have the same success. What I love about Startup Parent, right? It's like, we don't have to do things how they've always been done. And coaching the field is rooted in kind of not challenging the status quo often. The theories of of coaching are often like, get more success. Wait, say more. Oh, you really? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) If you look at a lot of the theorists, a lot of the coaching theory comes from therapy. There's some new stuff, but cognitive behavioral therapy, positive psychology, it's like white male, privileged white males, right? Because we have to think about who used to be able to afford school too, <laughs> right? It wasn't everyone. I mean, I don't even know if we still can afford it, but a lot of the stuff like cognitive behavioral therapy is like, oh, you're wrong. You can't trust your thoughts. You can't trust your feelings. Maybe I can. And maybe it doesn't mean my thoughts are true, but maybe we've been ultimately dancing around here is that we have a meaning matrix. So in this case, my client's meaning matrix was success equals more, better, faster. If I was doing traditional coaching, I would try to challenge her thoughts and all this stuff. But really I'm like, why do your thoughts make sense based on what has worked for you successfully before? It has been doing the way that she's always been done it. So we're ultimately saying that the body can't be trusted. Your thoughts can't be trusted versus I'm saying you can completely trust them because it's worked in the past. But do you want to keep using that definition of success? I think the fluidity there and what you're creating is actual change. Yeah. And I think these questions are generative in that respect. So to me, coaching is about helping somebody else to find and source what they want, helping someone else to better understand themselves, being a reflective source, but also you are helping to shape that person in as much as you're helping to like reveal who they are and what they actually want. That's the space that I hold when I do coaching. And I think that the questions you're asking are phenomenal because 
the question of like, why does this make sense? What it does for you, for me, I pause and I look at what is existing and I get to treat myself as wise from the get-go. I get to treat myself as smart. Like you were doing something not as an idiot. You're not being an idiot. You are doing something because it is or it has taken care of you. It is or it has provided a benefit. And you are doing the smartest thing you know how to do right now. And to me, that also embraces the idea of metta in Ayurveda and yogic philosophy and Buddhism. It's about like self-love and self-compassion. And I don't think that true change comes from self-flagellation. Like I think you can, but all the diatribes about discipline, about like just discipline harder, that only works if you have this endless amount of willpower. And I don't know if it's lasting. Like you learn to self-flagellate, but these people then become miserable because they don't even know, who am I? What do I want? Exactly. And I love that you brought that up. And I should also say like, I'm making broad strokes about coaching. I know that there are great coaches and great avenues for that. But I'm just saying, if we look at like executive coaching, a lot of it is not, oh, how do we make your company more sustainable? (laughs) I'm just saying a lot of the questions that we need to be asking, sometimes coaching doesn't address. So I do want to make clear of that. But talking about two things, one, we start relating to ourselves differently. That's why when you're like, why am I wise? All of a sudden, (laughs) you're going to have my clients are like, this has changed every area of my life. And I'm like, you're relating. It's not about habits or habit hacking or stacking. No. What is the actual way I'm relating to my body, to my work? Because we say how we do anything is how we do everything. And a lot of the values that we have, like discipline, for example, discipline, responsibility, success, all of this stuff, especially in North American culture, these values are rooted in control. Discipline used to be about learning. It was it came from disciple. How yeah. are you a learner? How do you learn how to learn? And now it's about how do you control yourself? Even when you're tired, how do you override that? Responsibility. For women yes. especially, responsibility is like, how do you fix everybody else's stuff? How do you control everybody? But we never think about What if I'm responsible to my own instincts and values? There's a lot about value shifts that when you start to orient yourself to wise, that you are wise and what you're doing makes sense. You start to realize that basically the templates that we've been given for how to run a business, how to parent, how to be healthy, don't even work. They don't work. They don't. In a living system. (laughs) No. How do we turn this into... A movement because you and I are speaking so much of the same language. And I think there's another element to this that's really important. And this is what a lot of the guests on my show, people that I interview, especially the people I bring in to do workshops in Wise Women's Council, it's about this next layer. So first, if you're talking about like, where is your wisdom? You know, why is this wise? There's so much self-compassion, but it's also the pause to feel because experiences are about feelings, right? And if you don't give yourself the ability to feel something and feel into it and really be in your body, which is a cliche phrase, but if you skip past all of that, I don't think change ever happens because let's say it's like, what is your phrase? Why does it make so much sense? Why does it make sense? And you go in and I'm going to use an example like I'm with family members and I start being really critical and mean. I start being really snippy and mean. And then I'm embarrassed. And if I ask myself that question, why does it make so much sense that I'm doing this? What it's asking me also to look at is what am I feeling? You know, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Where is this coming from? 
Why does it make sense that I was super critical? Well, they weren't respecting my boundaries. They were being mean to me. I was really upset and disappointed. They belittled me and my business. They told me it was cute. Like Whatever happened, right? And so then I started to protect myself. Yes. And the only tool that I know is to be mean back, right? That's the tool that I have. And when I get that insight, when I get that insight, and that's the coaching work. Coaching work is helping people to have these insights. When I get that insight, I can be like, oh, I'm protecting myself. Then that naturally opens up in your brain, in my brain, this idea, this expansive idea, this curiosity about what else can I do to protect myself? Because if you just say, if I just jump forward and be like, oh, I shouldn't be mean. If I start to self-shame and self-judge and collapse and then just like try to discipline myself, don't be mean, hold yourself together, be a better person. That is just plastering lead paint over lead paint to mix all the metaphors here. But it is not actually like cleaning the house. And if I go in there and I say, I am protecting myself, then I have all these options open up in my head where I can just say, I don't want you to speak to me like that. Or I'm going to have to ask you to stop. Or I'm not open to talking about my business with people right now. And I can start to put in other boundaries. And I can even have these invisible boundaries of like, every time they're an I'm going to put another mark on my page. I'm going to draw something on this page. I'm just going to sit here and doodle. And then I have more options instead of the option I learned when I was four or six or eight about being snippy. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. I'm like, take that <laughs> to church, SKP, because this is Same. why I work on the immunity to change model is that our stories live in our bodies. <gasps> Allie, we're going to quote everything you say. That's <laughs> what <laughs> we do. Like, we think we're these like logical people, but if you think of an elephant and the rider, the elephant is always the one in the room. And we think we're like, oh, we're in control, but the elephant compared to the rider is so big, right? Yep. And exactly, if you're like, how am I protecting myself? And mm-hmm. when we actually feel what you're talking about, and I bet even as you go to your Kit Kats, especially when we're in the moment and we can just say, why does this make so much sense and feel, often what's revealed is a need that was never met. What I love what you're saying is like, if I can find out different ways to protect myself, rather than adding lead on lead paint, what we end up doing over and over is then create a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we don't know this is happening, we build up our stories of like, we lash out. We do what we do to protect ourselves. And then that person, especially if it's in the same family, they react how they react. And then we conclude like, they're That's right. And, And my business is tiny and cute, not bigger and whatever I want it to be right. versus interrupting the whole building up your armor, which ultimately creates the very story that you're afraid is true that you right. learned early on. It regrooves all of that framework. If we start just from the judgment or the intellectual evaluation of our behavior, instead of stopping to feel and see kind of yeah. peel back the layers and get deeper. And the other thing I just wanted to say, I love that you said it, it's expansive because that's what I hope people even think about all of their values and health included. Like, how am I defining health? For most of us, it is just weight loss. What is a more expansive idea of health? And just starting there and then experimenting with that. What do I think of a success? One of the biggest changes parenthood has 
done is, oh, success is so much more holistic to me now in this Mm. sense. It doesn't mean that sometimes I don't want to strive and be accomplished in my business, but there's a season for that now. And when you do that, I start to realize, oh, becoming a parent has made me so much better at what I do. You know, you can start to see this, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to use a corporate term for my old life, but this synergy. (laughs) And then you get to bring the whole of yourself to each experience when you expand these definitions and you bring your body, which has so much wisdom and so much like instinctual knowing that we will only be able to articulate in hindsight. Intuitive knowing. Yes. I like using intuitive instead of instinctual. Yeah, because they're different. (laughs) They're different. Mm -hmm. And instinct, here we go, intellectual nerd coming out. But instinct is like (laughs) about something that's baked in that you got before. And a lot of people talk about mother's instinct. And I'm like, no, no, no. Instincts are like the imprinting with ducks. (laughs) Exactly. You just nailed it. Like you have hunger. Intuition, it is the feeling in our gut, but it comes from your inner knowing and your accumulated experience over the years. So it's connecting the dots, the constellations of your years of experience. I love that you said that because this is also why intuitive eating is really hard for people because they don't have the pattern recognition of what actually feels satisfied or hungry. And then our food supply is designed to not make you ever feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. Another episode. Y'all, we're going to have Allie back (laughs) multiple times. So I have a couple of questions to wrap us up here. So first, you mentioned health and you told me once that like health is not biohacking. It's not spending VC level amounts of money on childcare. It's not being crystals and tea. What is health? What does that mean to you? To me, it means, am I alive? Am I taking in life? Do I feel vitality? And that doesn't mean I always feel fantastic. (laughs) But it's a flexible definition of when I'm so tired, but I show up for my son. This is life right now. This is where I'm at. Yeah. That is to me, am I taking in life with how it is, not versus what I thought it would be. But there's a vitality there. Mm. And then that transcends diagnoses and all that kind of stuff because it's accessible. Oh, that's good. That's good. I love that question too, in terms of like, I can use that question if I'm going to a doctor and I feel the resistance in my body, the rejection in my body of what they're saying. They're saying something to me and I'm like, oh, I know that you're wrong. I know with my knowing that you're wrong, but they have the power. I can say, am I alive here? Like, does this make me feel myself? Does this make me feel alive? Am I taking in life or am I shutting down? Because that shutting down closed off experience when people tell me things that I know are not true is a really important part of this. Yes. Tell us about truce with food. I mean, I feel like I described it a lot (laughs) today, but I thank you for asking. Truce with food, it's basically trusting and satisfaction, not sacrificing. So it really is in academia, I created this in my master's work at Penn, which I know you went to Penn too, so we're alumni. Academically, we would say biopsychosocial. Magazines would say mind, body, spirit. But what is this connection between food as safety? So physical safety. Are you getting the right foods for you? 
So many women think they can't eat carbs. No, you need carbs. There's just so much misinformation. But are you getting the right movement? Because our bodies do need to move. They were built for that. Doesn't mean it has to be exercise and only count if you're sweating, but really changing your relationship to food and exercise. But then also the safety piece of psychological safety. Why am I turning to food when I want comfort? And again, that's not always bad. It's having the flexibility of knowing for Mother's Day, I wanted the afternoon to myself. So I went out and I got to eat by myself. And I was like, I want to eat for comfort and for Mm. taste because I never get to eat in peace. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I can really taste this. None of this is bad as long as it really feels in alignment with what I want. But we have these stories. I love that you showed the story of like the family potential example, right? Or my client who has this story about what success is. For me, becoming a mother, I had to really look at this story of, I need to be exceptional to be successful. Mm. And whenever these stories flare up, when we feel like we're unexceptional or we're failing or we're a disappointment, we turn to food because food is our first signal, touch and food that we're safe. And that is encoded in belonging to our caregivers. Mm. So what we really want when we're eating for comfort if it's chronic and we don't want to be doing it is, I want to know I belong. I want to know that maybe I'm going to be successful the way I want to be successful. Maybe I'm going to be a part of the group that I want to be a part of, the identity I want to be a part of. So it's really the emotional part of safety is examining, okay, what's true anymore? What resources and capacities do I have that I didn't have when I was a kid or a teenager? So that's truce with food is ultimately Mm. what the truce is very much the language is intentional. I'm not going to tell you to have peace with food. I'm not going to tell you to love food. I'm not going to tell you food is medicine, food is fuel. What does it mean for you moment to moment? And you get to choose that based on your goals, but it's ultimately about ending the battle. (laughs) Wow. Allie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of this, for taking us through this model for the, I think, 12 soapboxes that we both got to go on where I know that people are fist pumping in the car along the way alongside us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh. If I were listening to this, because there's so many times I needed to stop and like write down what you said, I think I would have to pull over on the side of the road and just like write it down over and over again. (laughs) People do tell me they listen to my podcast three times, which is one thing I need to work on is making it more emotional, less geeky, but I knew I could geek out with you. (laughs) No, that means it's good. That's a compliment. Okay. <laughs> listening to it three times because you have to just soak in it and absorb it and have the experience. For me, I have to like really take each piece and go as far as I can. Yeah, yeah. So I'm listening to The Body Keeps the Score right now on audiobook. And I think I'm listening to each chapter two or three times because, you know, you hear something and it stops you in your tracks and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just going to have to sit with that a minute. Yeah. And then you go back and you're like, you listen to it again. And you're like, wait, I heard another thing. <laughs> and then you have to go back. <laughs> At least that's how I do it. Okay. There's so many things I want to say in wrapping up. Folks listening, I would be remiss not to tell you. So Ali Shapiro has been one of the members of the Wise Women's Council. These are the kinds of people that we have in the Wise Women's Council. I kid you not. This is a community of phenomenal women, curious, interesting, ridiculously intelligent, kind, compassionate people. And I will say, if you're listening, you're like, but I'm not that cool. Don't use that little voice. I have people tell me that they're like, but I'm not as cool as everyone else. So I can't join. Mm -mm -mm. 
Mm-mm-mm. It's a space for us all to explore these parts of ourselves. And everybody is so welcoming. I had a big story because I was bullied in fifth grade in groups of women. And that's why I told myself I was a bad joiner and I'm still a bad joiner. But Sarah and everybody is just phenomenal. People are so kind in there. It really startles me because sometimes I'll go to other places on the internet and I'm like, ooh, uh-uh. No, like, <laughs> what? You did not learn my rules because I have playground rules for people when they come into work. I'm like, we have rules here. And the rules work really, really well for reminding us and encouraging us to be those kind-hearted, big, bold, brave people. Also, Allie is teaching one of our upcoming workshops. So every month in the Wise Women's Council, we invite two guest teachers in and she is going to go through a whole workshop on truce with food and how the four tenets of adult health. But with our workshops, what you do is you get to translate it to your own life. So you get to talk about your own stories and you get to work through it. So that's speaking of having experiences, like we create experiences in the Wise Women Council. So if you're listening to this and you've thought about it, these are the amazing people that we get to have join us. Now, Allie, where can people find out about Truce with Food if they're on this journey and they want to work with someone like you? And also you have Truce with Food and you also have, what is it called? A licensing? What's the other program? It's a Truce Coaching Certification. So Truce with Food. So I offer a free monthly community call. So if anyone is interested in these topics or you have your own questions, you can go to alishapiro.com backslash gathering and you could just show up and any questions you have. We tend to have a theme. Last month was perimenopause and menopause. I'm going to do a whole theme on how deprivation is a story. <laughs> okay. Not just about food, but then there's time for questions and answers. That is an option. And then there's also, you can Google Ali Shapiro and Truce with Food and the, the program page will come up. And then I also work with people individually. And then the Truce Coaching Certification is for really rebel healing practitioners. You don't have to be a coach. I have therapists who have gone through it. I have people working with people on burnout. But it is this framework for the entire process of sustainable change. Hmm. And it's flexible and you can adapt it to your specific pain point that you work with clients. For example, one of my clients is a therapist. She has a ministry background, an inner family systems background. And she took truce. She was a client of mine and loved it. But she used the framework to create a program called Restore that helps female clergy really learn to take care of themselves. These are my words, not hers. She's like uprooting patriarchy at the source, you know? <laughs> yes. But that's an example. Another client was working on a program around burnout. So it's not just about food that if you're interested in that, it's really the sustainable change framework and you can insert your own gifts and talents into it. Oh, that's really cool. Does it have a different name than Truce with Food? What's the name? It's just the truce because it's about ending the battle of whatever people can't do what they want to do. <laughs> the truce certification. Yes, that makes so much sense. I should also say it's ICF approved and it's trauma informed. Oh, that's so beautiful. So if people listening, if you are a coach or a facilitator or a practitioner looking for an ICF certified program to help you level up your professional yes. work, level up your wellness work, or you're just interested in this model, this idea, because it resonates so strongly, you can go do the certification with Allie. 
And I forgot, I also, for that, we have free monthly calls, basically okay. like coaching disruption hour, and that's alishapiro.com backslash disruption. Oh, all right. Send me all of these links for all of these I different will. things. I will. How do people talk to you either on social media or sign up for a newsletter? Yeah. So social media, I'm on Instagram, not that often, but A-L- at Ali M- A-L-I-M, as in Marie Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. And then they can go to my website, alishapiro.com and sign up. There's also a quiz on what's your comfort eating style mm. that you can figure out. And then I also have a podcast that people tend to love, which is called Insatiable. <laughs> Insatiable. Oh my goodness. Yes. You're reminding me through the stuff that you're saying, sometimes when I am discovering a topic and I know that it resonates with me, that's when I go and I listen to like 40 episodes of someone exactly per this framework that you described. It's like, I don't just listen to them boom, 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 one every week. I go and I follow the rabbit hole when something is really important. And I found your podcast and I was like, you know, when you can download different episodes, you're like, and this one, and this one, and this one. (laughs) (laughs) And I have transcripts too, if people aren't podcast people. Yes. But they're listening to this podcast, so they are probably podcast people. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is it. That is a wrap. Y'all, this episode was so juicy. We're going to have show notes available. Justine on the Startup Parent team writes these incredible show notes. And if you listen to this episode and you want to go get a whole bunch of the quotes, we're going to have them up on our website. The takeaway for me, we need experiences. That's what makes change not more information. We have the information a lot of times. And if the information isn't working, don't shut all over yourself. Don't shame all over yourself. It's because something else is happening. I really loved your note about we have to come to the realizations and the aha moments ourselves. Yeah. It's each of us individually goes through our own journey. And your question, asking yourself, why does this actually make sense? such a powerful question. Thank you, Allie. Thank you so much for being here and for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is such a joy. I just love being in your presence. I want to tell you a couple of things that people have said about the Wise Women's Council. One of our members said that business support is top notch. On one of our calls, one person said, my mind is already blown and we're only seven minutes in. Hillary said, Sarah, you are one of the best facilitators I have ever met. And Dana said, if you're somebody that regularly designs community or holds space for other people, here's a place where you don't have to because Sarah has figured it all out for you and you can just be when you're in this space. Caroline said once on a call, she said, I'm normally one of those people that's thinking all the time about how you can facilitate something better. And Caroline said, I don't have to do that when I'm with you. Michelle said it's one of the only places she doesn't have to code switch between so many different identities. She doesn't have to hide being a mom. She doesn't have to hide being a business owner. She doesn't have to explain herself over and over again to different people and have them not understand her. If you are living at the intersection of parent, mom, business owner, leader, entrepreneur, facilitator, or you are running a company, come check out the Wise Women's Council. That's a place I made for you. It's what I needed when I first became a parent, and we've been running this program for six years. Head to startupparent.com slash WWC to find out more about the Wise Women's Council and apply to join us today.
Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. It is a pleasure to be in conversation with you. You can find out more about everything we talked about and all of the show notes here on your podcast player, or you can head to our website, startupparent.com. I want to give another shout out to all of our amazing sponsors who help make this show possible. We are so grateful to get to work with you and partner with so many wonderful companies and organizations that are dedicated to making life better for entrepreneurs, female founders, and working parents. If you are interested in sponsoring the show and partnering with us, then head to startupparent.com slash sponsor, and you can send a note to our sponsorship team. Did you know that we have a new Substack and we have a secret podcast? Oh, yes, we do. Head to Startup Parents Substack. The link is startupparent.substack.com. I'll put the link in the show notes and check out our secret podcast. When you become a paid backer, when you upgrade your subscription and you join our community, you get lots of perks for being a community member. For our paid backers, I host a monthly private podcast where I dig into the nitty gritty of business building and parenting and everything in between. Listeners and readers get to submit questions, then I pick one or two each month and we dive deep into it. In addition, for our paid backers, we host our Startup Parent Monthly Book Club. This is where we get to talk about interesting books with other smart and interesting and kind people. And I run book club a little bit differently. You can read the book if you have time, but chances are you don't always have time to read the book. So the way I host book club is that anyone can join whether or not you've read the book because I give you a summary of it up at the beginning and then I frame up four questions from the book that we can talk about and you'll always be in rooms with other people that have read the book so we can share knowledge and wisdom. The purpose of book club is to have rich and interesting and insightful conversations not to judge you on whether or not you had a chance to read a book. So our secret podcast and our private book club those are just two of the perks that we offer for people who become community members and that's not all. I love getting to say that phrase. That's not all. There are actually a lot of other perks, and I'm going to let you discover them when you go to our Substack. Last but not least, if you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you would leave us a review. It means a lot to the show, and it helps other people find us. So definitely leave a review. I read every single one of them, and I'm so grateful when I see your name in my inbox and when I see that people are leaving more reviews. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, and I will see you on the next episode.